You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We're going to talk about holiness today. If you have your Bibles with you, can you read it to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to 16? It says here in verse 13, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. A couple of background, muna, some context muna of what we're reading here today. Okay, Anyone here, you read First Peter before? First Peter or Second Peter? For most of us here, something to help us understand what we're reading, what we're going through. All right, First Peter is what you call a circular letter. In the New Testament, you would see many epistles, many letters written by the apostles, like St. Paul, St. Peter, St. John. And a lot of times, it's addressed to a certain group of people or a certain church. Like for example, no, Ephesians is written for the church in Ephesus. The book of Philippians is written for the church in Philippi. So when the title of the book or the letter is addressed for those group of people. But for the book or the letter of 1 Peter, it's called a circular letter because it's written not just for one specific group, but for a lot of people, it's one group. Lang. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 in the NLT, it says here that this letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So in other words, this letter is written to these churches, and by extension, it's written not just for one congregation, but intentionally written for all Christians. So meaning, as believers here today, you can greatly learn a lot from what Peter had to write to these churches. Because again, it's not just confined to one group of people. Lang. This letter was to be delivered primarily from one location to the other, Pontus, Galatia, and so and so forth. And what's happening here, the reason why Peter is writing to these churches is to encourage the people, okay, the, the believers who are experiencing persecution. Much like several books in the New Testament, the churches were experiencing persecution. Nakalisod sila. And interestingly, Peter was writing predominantly to Gentile believers. So meaning, these are people who came from pagan backgrounds. If you remember our sermon last week, we talked about the Canaanite woman. She wasn't a Jewish person. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a pagan woman. She worshipped idols before. She didn't know much about God, basically. Munang background niya. And so these believers have the same or similar background, basically. They're Gentile believers. Formerly, they worship idols. They did things outside of, say, Ganani God, basically. But now, they're part of God's people. They're now, they're part of the church right now. And for these believers, they were experiencing persecution. Like, in first, like for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, For what credit is it if you sit in and are beaten for it? You endure. But if you... Do good and suffer for it. You endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So this is one of the references that pertains to the persecution that these people were going through at this time. Now I'm going to highlight or expand a little bit about the persecution that's happening here. Because I believe that it's pretty much still relevant for us here today. Even though it was written like several centuries ago. Why is that? Because if you were to ask, why were the Christians persecuted at this time? Why were they greatly persecuted? Yes, because of their faith, of course. But why man? Why were they persecuted for their faith? Why is it on Christians? A lot of factors, but two things I want to highlight lang. The first thing why Christians were persecuted was the refusal to worship the emperor. 
of Rome. Because back then, yes, throughout the Roman Empire, you could worship any god you want. See, Zeus Bana or whatever kind of god or idol you worship. But once a year, every Roman citizen or every person under the Roman Empire would be required to worship the emperor. Required to worship the emperor. Then you could go on your way and worship the god that you want. That was their thing. But of course, Christians didn't do that. Christians couldn't say Caesar is Lord. Christians couldn't say that they would worship Caesar, then they would worship God. So that in itself made them look like traitors to what? To the nation. So they were persecuted for that. But the more common kind of persecution was the verbal or discriminatory kind of persecution. Meaning, they discriminate sila because of their distinct lifestyle. Christians were so radically different from all other people, groups, and races, basically. They were so fundamentally different from any other kind of people. Why is that? Well, firstly, or basically in a nutshell, the Christian could not fully conform to the culture and practices of the time. Even though the Roman Empire was diverse in its people, in its races, in its background, in its ethnicity, in all of those things, different kinds of people, there are some things that are similar or practice for the nation, for the empire. But the Christians could not participate in that. Christians did not take part in that. Like for example, they rejected pagan gods. Their festivals, okay? The rejection of these things made them seem rude. Or sa topa sa Pilipinas, mag others kay sila. Isn't it that, you know, whenever you try to do something with your group, with your friends, and there's one person nga, di lang makijoinin nyo, di ba, samukan mo? Di ba, mingon mo nga, ay, tad, mag-jag ta at 6 a.m. in the morning. There's one of you that says nga, di ko, di ko lang mag-jag. Di ba, ay, others kay ka, ay, samukay ka. Di ba, we get annoyed when someone doesn't want to join in. When someone doesn't want to be what the group is doing, we get annoyed, we get angry, or you know, we get annoyed lang, di ba? Isn't it right? We're here, you're talking about a group of people who did not partake in the common culture practiced in the nations around them. The Christians did not fully conform to the culture and practices at the time. Not just that, they had a different view towards slavery, towards sex, towards children, towards relationships, towards marriage. Kabunyang values for the rest of the empire Lay ang values of Christians when it comes to marriage, family, or relationships. They, they had different set of values. One line of a scholar mentions that for the Christians, by simply living according to the teachings of Jesus, the Christian was the constant unspoken condemnation of the pagan way of life. In other words, so fundamentally different than Jude and Christiano back then. It's like, you know, if you were to uh, walk in the city of Dumaguete and somehow makita ka galayon, maglakaw-lakaw diha. It's like, wait, what's the Something so different, something so radical that it catches your attention. That was the Christian back then. In summary, Peter is writing to encourage Gentile Christians who are experiencing persecution. And I took time to expound this for us because I believe, again, this is still pretty much relevant for us here today. That for some of us, perhaps you have experienced the pressure of persecution whether at home, at work, or in the campuses. Perhaps, of course, wala ka experience of physical kind of persecution. You might not have been beaten up or put in prison or some of the Christians in history, but perhaps you've experienced verbal or a discriminatory kind of persecution. Perhaps you've been ridiculed or mocked by your faith. Perhaps you've been labeled, akatuning si holy holy, akatuning si Christian nga person. Perhaps you've been excluded by certain group of people in your life before close mo, before kaila mo, but when they found out about your faith, because of the differences, they started excluding you. They started not inviting you, or something. Perhaps you've experiencing that, or worse, for some of us here, we experience relational dysfunctions. 
with our friends, with our family, because of our faith. Whatever the form, whatever the kind it is, perhaps for some of us here, again, we've experienced persecution. And for all of us who have experienced that, perhaps we've had this question, what do we do? What do we do in the face of persecution? What do we do when the world seemingly tries to bring us back or tries to force us to conform back to our old ways? What do we do back? When there is this pressure around us to try and to go back to our old ways, what do we do? And that's exactly what I'm going to try and answer here. That simple question, what do we do in the face of persecution? Now, let's go straight to verse 14 of our passage. It says here in verse 14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So Peter writes to the people experiencing difficulties, persecution. He knows it's difficult. He knows that there's great pressure to conform, to go back to their old ways. And the word conform simply means to be similar. It means to change something so that that something will be just like everything else around it. Let's say you found out that your friends all have the same phone. Let's say all your friends, iPhone 15 sila. Ikaw, iPhone 14 pa ka, feeling left out ka. So somehow did something to change your phone, okay, nag-apply ka plan, whatever, or nipat ka iPhone, so that your phone's now iPhone 15. Fully paid for it para in Sabargada, whatever. So now, you've conformed. Your phone is the same as your friend. Same na, iPhone 15 na. Let's say same color pa jod, same case pa jod, para conform to the max level. That's what to conform means. You change something to make it similar to something else. And here, Peter says that here, he writes to the Gentile believers that as obedient children, they should what? They should, they should not be conformed. Uh, he means do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So meaning, don't go back. Don't change back to your similar ways. I like what it says here in the NAV, in the NLT translations. Let me show that. It says here, now, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Or in the NLT, don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. In other words, to, to, to summarize these three kinds of versions, these three translations, Peter is basically saying, don't go back to your old ways. Don't conform. Don't be just like everyone else around you. Don't be like the world. Don't be like your, your neighbors, the other people, and go back to your old ways and you know, trying to satisfy your previous desires, your earthly desires, or in the NIV, your evil desires. Peter says, don't do that. So for a simple quick reminder here for all of us, if you ever experience persecution, or perhaps you might experience it down the line, I'm not saying I hope you experience it, but if ever you do experience it, here's one thing you should note. Don't go back to your old ways. The non-negotiable thing is don't go back. Ayog balik sa old lifestyle nimo. Ayog balik sa old desires nimo. Don't go back to that, says Peter. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. As an NLT says, back then you didn't know any better. Before you heard of the gospel, before you heard of Christ, before you followed Jesus, before you had your new life in Christ, you didn't know any better. You were ignorant in your ways. And you did whatever you wanted. You had evil desires. But now that you know better, Peter is saying, don't go back to that. Don't go back and satisfy your former evil desires. What does he propose that we do instead? Instead of going back to that, instead he has something, or he writes something in contrast. That is in verse 15 and 16, the meat of our passage here, it says here, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So if 
the temptation, the pressure was to go back to our old sinful lifestyle, our old non-Christian way of living, or sa, sa ilang panahon pa, their old Gentile backgrounds, to go back to worshiping idols and all of these things. If that was the temptation, the pressure, Peter says, don't go back to that. Don't succumb to that. Don't go back to your old ways. But rather, in contrast, he says here, but as he who called you is holy, I'm going to Peter, be holy in all your conduct. Be holy. Now, before we get to that all-important word, he says, in all your conduct. Some translations, in all your behavior. Peter says, in all that we do, basically, meaning not just on Sundays, not just when we come to church, not just when you attend a victory group, or when you fellowship with fellow church people, but in all that you do 24-7, whether at work, at school, with your families, with your non-Christian friends, in all that you do in your conduct, you should be holy. We should be holy. And so now the question is, church, what do we mean when we say holy? Because this word holy in two verses is repeated four times. Peter says, firstly, that as he who called you is holy, you should be holy. And then he quotes scripture. We'll get to that later. The same thing. It seems like redundant, but he's making a point. You see, in the Bible, because they didn't have highlighters, they didn't encircle things to emphasize something, whenever the writers would want the readers to know that this particular word or idea or phrase is really, really important, they would repeat it again and again. Like for example, for those of you who've gone through one-to-one, you know that the idea that Jesus is Lord is repeated several hundred times in the New Testament, isn't it? But the idea of Jesus is Lord is repeated several times to emphasize the important point that he is Lord. It's littered throughout the New Testament. Now here, in this verse, four times they repeat an idea or a word holy. That in this chapter, it is very much important for us to be holy. So the question begs here, what do we mean when we say holy? What is holy? Quick question for us. What do you think of when you hear the word holy? What comes into your mind? I'm saying image what comes to your mind when you hear the word holy. Is it the church, a church building? Is it some kind of people? Perhaps you think of holy, it's like a dress code, someone nakahinapay, nakakwilyo, or something like that. Is it a set of rules, things to do, rules for living back? What comes into your mind when you hear the word holy? Now for most of us, when we, when we hear the word holy, we think of moral purity. And true enough, holiness can mean that as well, Okay. Uh, uh, holiness can mean that. But the word holiness in the Bible, there's two words that pertains to holiness. You have the Greek word and the Hebrew word. Now both these words, kadosh, the Hebrew word, and hagios, the Greek word, means other, unique, different, sanctify, dedicate, or set apart. Or to summarize these different words, the word holy means different. Okay? Different from everything else. And the reason why this word is used to refer to God is because it pertains to God's uniqueness, how he is set apart from all other things in creation or in the universe. In other words, the reason why God is referred to as holy is because there's nothing like God. There's nothing else in this world or in this universe like God. In other words, he is set apart. He is different. He is unique. That there's nothing else you can say, Akani, this is exactly like God. Ah, there's something exactly like God out there. That's how, that's how holy God is. In his original sense, it denotes that he is absolutely distinct from all his creatures, from all his creation, be it be mountains, creatures, animals, whatsoever. There's nothing that comes close to who God is. 
And He's exalted above them in infinite majesty. Again, it talks about that uniqueness ni God. Although there's no one word that, that can fully encapsulate or fully describe who God is, if there is one attribute that is closest that can describe who God is, that is that word holy. To indicate how important this word is, the weight of this word, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2 to 3, when the prophet Isaiah had an encounter with the Lord, says here, when he had a vision of the Lord, in verse 2 he says, Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one, one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. A couple of things about this passage. Firstly, throughout the Bible, this is the only passage where you can see one word to describe something repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. Perhaps you can see in other verses, twice repeat a word. Okay, twice repeat ang something. But here, in this passage, it is repeated three times ang word na holy. To indicate, to emphasize just how indeed holy, different, set apart God is compared to all, all other forms, all other creations. That the angels, the seraphim who were with him couldn't help but just cry out, holy, holy, holy. They could have said several other things. They could have said loving, generous, kind, ano ba? just, or fair, or all other amazing descriptions that we normally attribute to God. But here, the angels, the seraphim, all they could utter was that word, holy. That's how much this word is important. That if you could describe God with, with just one word, and I know there's no word enough, there's really no word in any language that can describe God in one word, but the closest we can is that word, holy. Now, if you were just like Isaiah, we had a vision of the Lord, the only thing we could cry out is that word, holy. Several times, again and again and again, just like these angels. Several times. Holy, holy, holy. Mora na ang maingon nato. Mora ang repeat nato. Holy, holy, holy. In fact, it's kind of like if ever you've experienced something amazing. If ever you've eaten something. If ever you've watched something amazing. But sometimes you try to come up with words. Akaling food, lamik kayo ni. Delicious. This movie, grabe. Heartbreaking kayo salida. Or life-changing kayo experience. Kaling get to na travel. Well, for God, anything that pertains to God, the closest you can attribute in a word is that word, holy. That's why holiness is an important word. And the connection to moral purity with holiness is because God is set apart, because God is different, and He's unlike us. Unlike us who are sinful, who are flawed, imperfect, God Himself is what? He is perfect. He is sinless. He is the standard of moral purity. He is absolutely good. There's no speck of impurity or evil that you can find in God. That's why moral purity is still connected with holiness. So again, that goes with it. He is distinct, different, and absolutely morally pure si God. So that's what we mean when we talk about holiness. When we talk about the word holy. Peter says, na, But as he who called you is holy. So the one who calls them, si God, is holy. If we were to go back to that verse, verse 15, it, it would be like if but as he who called you is set apart, you also be set apart in all your conduct. As he who called them or called us is set apart, holy, distinct, different, we too are called to be set apart. Set apart. We are called to be holy because the God that we worship is also holy. Peter also reinforces this idea. It is written, for you shall be holy for I am holy. 
Now, why is this important? It just seems like Peter is repeating the same thing. And true enough, yes, he is repeating it to emphasize a point. But Peter here is quoting from the Old Testament. He's referencing something mentioned several times in the Old Testament in several verses. One such verse is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, when it says there, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, when you go through that, if you are a Jewish believer, of course, you probably say, yeah, I know that. If Peter was writing to Jewish believers, meaning Christians got Jewish background, they would say, oh yeah, no-brainer. They've lived their whole lives in pursuit of that. They've lived their whole lives previously thinking they were holy for trying to follow the law in all their actions, basing their own good deeds. But remember, Peter is writing to whom? To Gentile believers. Peter is writing to people who came from pagan, idol-worshipping backgrounds. These are the kind of people nga, if you remember our sermon last week, wherein the Jewish people would often, you know, insult or nasay, pang-insulto sa mga Gentiles and that is the word dogs. Remember that? Because they were known as unspiritual, mga outside sa plans ni God, ang gafink nila, mga wak mong ilabot sa plan ni God. Kami lang, people ni God. These are those kind of people. The people you wouldn't think that could be part of the plan of God or be part of God's people. And yet, here they are right now. Part of the church. Part of God's people. These are the people who were once aliens or outsiders. But now, again, they're part of God's people. And Peter is writing to them. And he's telling them, as it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So he's referencing or using this phrase that's used to refer to Jewish people and he's using it on Gentile people. Gets nyo? Kanin siya phrase, it was used before sa Jewish people lang. But now Peter is using this phrase on Gentile believers, on those with Gentile backgrounds. Why is this important? Why is this of big value still for us here today? Why? Because the implication here is that Peter is reminding them that though they came from Gentile backgrounds, though this was their past, Though they were used to be aliens, outsiders, not part of God's people, now they are part of God's people. Now they have new identities. Now just like the Israelites in the Old Testament, their lives will reflect who God is and their lives will point people to God. Peter is reminding them, remember in verse 14 he says, don't go back to your old ways. Don't be conformed to what others are doing. But he says, be holy for he who called you is holy. In essence, he's saying, Remember, you guys have a new identity. You are now a holy people. You were not holy before. Once you were not. Once you were outsiders. But now, you have new identities. You are holy because the one who called you is holy. And for a group of people who had no part in that in the first place, who didn't deserve to be part of that in the first place, that is an important statement to hear. It's an important statement to be reminded of. That if you are a Gentile believer, you're being persecuted, you're being forced or pressured to go back to your old ways, and suddenly Peter's reminding you, hey, don't go back to that. Your old life is dead now. That has no bearing on you. Whatever your past was, whatever your label was, whatever your actions you did before, now that you are, you've been given this new identity, now that you have been called by the one who is holy, don't go back to that. Remain and be holy. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. And it's an important passage because 
if we were to ask, alright, I want to be holy, I want to live a holy life, I want to remain holy, how do we do that? How do we start with that? Because a lot of times when we hear that word, be holy, ang mafik nato is a set of to-do things, actions na buhato nato, somehow, at the back of our minds, we try to strive and attain holiness. I need to achieve that. I need to get that kind of holiness. But here's the good news, church. This is why when we talk about holiness, this is why when we talk about holiness, it doesn't need to be something tedious na dapat i-achieve nato. But rather, when we talk about holiness, it is something that we, can, we should be, rather, be grateful of. Because here's the thing, holiness is not something that you can achieve on your own. Holiness is not something that you can achieve in your lifetime. So when Peter told the believers, be holy, he's not telling them, alright, go find holiness somewhere. Or go achieve holiness because holy is God. But rather, he's reminding them of their current state at the moment. What do I mean by that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. Verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. In this chapter, actually, this is the second time that salvation is being referenced. In other words, Peter is reminding the Gentile believers that they can live holy lives or they are holy in the first place, not by their good deeds, not because they tried to achieve something, but because first and foremost, it's because of Jesus. And that is good news for us here today, church. Meaning, when we talk about holiness, they can be holy because of Jesus. And for us here today, we can be holy or we are holy. For anyone here who is a believer of Christ, a follower of Christ, you're a son or daughter of God, guess what? You are holy. Not because you strive to come here on every Sunday or you did something five minutes ago, that's why naka status na unlock na holy naka. But rather, on the onset, you are holy because of Jesus. As in verse 18, 19 says, this holiness had a cost even. Not by silver, not by gold, but it says here that we, that we were ransomed. We were paid for or this holiness was made possible by the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. For us today, church, we are holy or we can be holy because of Jesus. And so the good news here is that when we go back to verse 15 and Peter says, do not be conformed to the passage of your former ignorance, but as he called you is holy, but be holy in all your conduct, the, the burden of being holy suddenly is removed from us. Kung ang burden is on us lang to try and achieve holiness, we might think na, but 24-7, dapat bato na ako ni, I have to do this, I have to do that. Suddenly, it becomes legalistic. Suddenly, it becomes a form of religion. You have a checklist, dapat bato na ako ni, para lang maholy ko. But remember, on the onset, we are holy na. So therefore, now, all our works flow out of a revelation of God's goodness and holiness. Meaning, the good deeds that we do are not done to achieve holiness, but rather, we do it because of the holiness that's in us, made possible because of Jesus. It's a result of the holiness made possible because of Christ. So now, holiness longer becomes tedious, boring, dinasha killjoy, but rather you do it because, why? You pursue holy living. You pursue a holy life, not because force got to do it, but you want to do it. Because you know that it is because of Christ. Someone paid the price that you could live a new holy life. And it's all because of Jesus. 
Holiness is not merely something to achieve, but it's an inherent aspect of our identity as believers. In fact, the word saints, reference in the Bible, if you read the Bible several times, people like Paul, Peter, he would call the believers as saints. And the word saints means holy ones. Still the word hagios, gigamit ana. So in other words, again, as believers, we are holy, not by our good deeds, or I mean, not because we, we achieved it by our good deeds, but because of what Christ did for us. This is an important truth and reminder for all believers today. You might have a difficult past, a tragic past. You might look back in your past and say, Gabi Lord, muna yung But you know what? No matter what your past was, church, you don't need to go back to that or you should not go back to that because that has no bearing in your life right now. It should not tempt you, pressure you to go back because that has no bearing in your life. The Word of God says no. The Word of God says, be holy for the one who calls you is holy. And so to answer that question we had a while ago, what should we do when persecution happens? What should we do in the, when the world pressures us to try and force us to conform to be like everyone else? When you value the world, when you the internet, what do we do when that happens? The short answer is, be holy. Be holy. Be set apart. Be holy for the one who calls us is holy. For Christ is holy. For God is holy. Now this idea of holiness will be expounded more in our prayer and fasting and our new series called Set Apart. But at least right now, I want us to understand, church, that as believers, whatever challenges you may face down the line in 2024, and here's the thing, as believers, do not be surprised when challenges happen. Do not be surprised when hardships happen, when persecution does happen. Do not be surprised when those things happen. That is expected as believers. But when those things happen, pursue holiness. Be holy. Do not conform to the former ways. Do not conform to their old lifestyles. Be holy. Because again, identity. This is who you are in Christ. You are holy. Don't trade it for anything else because again, it took the precious blood of Christ for us to be holy. Let us be holy. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these, or to access other resources, please visit victorytumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.